Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of When I Grew Up. On today's episode, I have my good friend Christina Martinez joining us. Hey Christina, how are you? Hi! Thanks so much for being here. I know that you are a super busy person, but you know, I feel comfortable asking you to do things that maybe you're too busy for because not only is Christina an awesome person, uh, she also happens to be one of my closest friends. Christina was the maid of honor at our wedding. Um, I've known her for like over 17 years now. And like three years old. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We were three when we met. Um, And, um, you know, everyone just has their person in life. And um, before I met David, Christina was my person. She's still my person. It's just no, it's just a different kind of person now, but she still will always be my person. Um, and, um, from now on, I probably won't call you Christina during this episode. Is that okay? She's going to call me queen. (laughs) (laughs) Because you will find that she is the queen of everything. But um, no, it's because when I met her, I was introduced to her to her by her Korean name, which is Myung, and I feel uncomfortable calling her by her English name um, because that's what I've been calling her for 17 years is Myung. So Myung, uh, what do you do for a living? What do you do day to day? I eat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no. So I work for a nonprofit called New Story. We are a housing nonprofit. Um, our mission is to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. And my role there is the people and culture ops associate. Okay, so that was a lot in one explanation. But for those that like kind of missed it, she works for a nonprofit that ends homelessness. I mean, that's all you got to know, really. Um, which is amazing work. And what she does there is um, her title, she said, is People and Culture Ops, which is a new title for me. I'm like, what in the world is that? And I know that she's going to be able to explain that in a little bit. But um, can we go into a little bit of the endless ending, uh, excuse me, ending homelessness part? <laughs> yeah. Y'all, before, like, I'm so sorry. We just, we might just giggle through the whole thing. Sorry. <laughs> But um, yeah, what what does New Story do? Yeah, so how we started New Story is our one of our founders um, went to Haiti after the big earthquake, and um, it was a couple of years after. And what he found there was people were still living in tents that were provided immediately after the earthquake. So years later, people still living in these tents and the living conditions were awful. And he was really impacted by what he saw. So he came back and decided like, we're going to do something about this. And so he started raising funds to build a home. Then they build two homes. And from there, we started building communities. And um, what we noticed was that, you know, there's a lot of housing nonprofits and governments and organizations who are building homes, but homelessness is a huge issue. And what we're seeing is the traditional way of building homes, it's not really making a dent in the issue. And so um, we shifted our vision from like we build homes to we pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. And so what we do is we experiment and we try different innovative ways of building homes to 
um, decrease cost, increase speed, and um, bring really good quality homes to low-income families. Right. So like the really cool part, the innovative part for me when you first started this job is just off the bat, you're like, well, basically, you know, we, you guys have a lot of initiatives that you guys do right now um, to end homelessness. Um, however, one of the cool kind of new innovative things that caught my attention was that you guys actually 3D print homes. Yes. So um, we are building the first 3D printed community in Mexico, um, which is really, really exciting. We started this last year and due to COVID, we had to stop production on it. But um, yeah, I mean, when we were brainstorming different ways that we can experiment home building, this was something that was brought up to our attention. And um when our founders were having this conversation and trying to decide like, is this a smart move? Like, should we try this? Should we not try this? And um, it was really cool listening to um, one of our co-founders, Matthew. I remember him saying this and it really impacted me deeply. He said, um, when they were trying to discuss and make a decision on like whether they should try or not, he said, not trying felt irresponsible. Mm. It's like, um, we can't not try. And so, um, so we tried and it's something that hasn't been done before and we're currently still building the community in Mexico. I believe we're going to start production again next month, um, but we've, you know, had a lot of issues with COVID and I'm sure everybody else has um, and being flexible in plans like that, but we're really, really excited to finish this community and for the first people in the world to start moving in to the first 3D printed community in the world. I mean, that is so crazy to me that like a 3D printer can print an entire community of houses and hopefully provide people with homes that are, are homeless, you know? And, um, and I love what you said about just your founder saying, hey, it is irresponsible not to try right, to try to do things that are, may seem like a huge idea, but really go after it. And I, and we can talk more about that in a little bit. But um, as far as the 3D printed homes go, like, is this a cost effective and cost efficient thing that is, um, like, possible for the future? Yeah, I think just like with starting anything, starting a business, starting a school, there's just initial costs that's going to cost a lot. And so even when we first started printing these homes, like there are certain things that you can experiment and try in the U.S. and Texas in a controlled environment, but you go into the middle of nowhere, Mexico, and you realize, you know, the water pressure is different (laughs) than in America. Mm energy like electricity flows at a different wattage Mm. is that correct wattage watt i don't know know. Um, asking the wrong person (laughs) um so we're gonna make a great team here so you know and you know the humidity level is different and you know as concrete is flowing out of this printer and making these lines like it has to solidify to a certain extent not too hard, not too soft to be able to support the next line. And you can't control weather. You're outside in a hundred something degree weather or a week where it's raining nonstop. And so there are a lot of things that, you know, 
building the first two homes was the hardest part um, because we needed to get that right. And it was trialing and erroring and like fixing things and like um, perfecting the process of printing in that environment. So the first two homes took a long time. It costs a lot to start the project, but as we pump these houses out, the cost is going to decrease. And we're estimating that it's gonna cost far less than 10 grand to be able to uh, print a home. That is incredible. I mean, that is so crazy. I, I know I keep saying that, but it's just to wrap my head around that possibility is so amazing. And um, so, okay, as far as your job goes and your role in at New Story um, as a people and cultures um, ops person, uh, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, we have a small team. There's 26 of us and we're across three different countries and multiple different states. And with COVID, everyone's working remotely. And um, But last year, our leadership team came back from a summit and pulled me into a room and was like, hey, like we realize the importance of building um, what we're building and expanding our team on culture, the right culture, and that we have a dedicated person who is um, really focused on the people mm. on our team, making sure that they're seen, that they're cared for, that they're growing, that they're developing in their professional goals, that um, we're creating an environment that people want to be working here at New Story. And so our values are super important. And we believe that that's like the foundation of what we want to build this company on. And right now we're 26, but when we're 150 or a thousand people deep that, you know, we're building on solid foundation. And so my dedicated role is to really focus on the people and um, culture, who we are, why we do what we do. Um, yeah. So if in a nutshell, that's what my role is. That's amazing because I feel like it's, it's a necessary role in so many companies and so many businesses because if the people and the employees are not healthy physically, mentally, spiritually even, and um, or you know there are issues that need to be addressed that maybe they feel like they can't bring to the higher ups. Like I'm assuming they can bring it to you right comfortably, and maybe you can find solutions for them. So initial, uh, I mean. In the end, I guess you are just, you're an advocate, right, for the employees of News Story. Is that correct in me saying that? Yeah, definitely. Um, we don't have an HR person right now. And I think like with policies and things like that, like once we get an HR person, that person will probably be that mediator. But when it comes to like culture and um, like one of the things that we noticed during COVID was that we couldn't really like understand how people were feeling if they're stressed out or if you know it's the first time that our whole company went to work from home so learning how to work from home learning how to create healthy boundaries on like not working 24 hours a day or not working or only working two hours a day um <laughs> whatever you know that balance looked like and so um one of the things that I pitched was to start doing pulse surveys to see like, how are people feeling on a week to week basis? Are they really stressed out? Are they, you know, one of the things that we ask is like how on a scale of one to 10, like how stressed are you personally and professionally? Mm -hmm. Because we realize that like who you are at home is who you are at work. If you're stressed at home, you're going to be stressed at work. If you are 
you know, healthy at home, you're going to be healthy at work. You're the same person, you know, it doesn't stop at the door and now it doesn't stop at, you know, the bed or your desk. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like I have the honor of being able to be that mediator to, you know, we're really big on data. So, um, seeing like week to week, like, oh, we're seeing a trend that like our entire team is super tired and super stressed out. Like maybe we need to get a day off, like a company-wide day off. And that was something that I was able to like analyze the data, you know, pitch that to our leadership team. And like, we came to the decision where, you know, we were going to take a company-wide, you know, complete day off and recharge. And we did that multiple times according to like the data that we found. Mm. Now, sometimes that data might be wrong. It's like, we gave everyone a day off, but everyone's still stressed out and still, you know, weary and, have low energy and through COVID, through the Black Lives Matter um, movement in June, we just noticed that everyone was very low energy, um, low performance, very confused, tired, um, emotional. And um, one of the things that we decided to do was to provide um, buddy counseling sessions using um, a third party counseling company. And that was something that our CEO um, actually brought up to us and it's been making such a huge difference and our team has loved it mm. and felt super supported having a safe space to you know talk their emotions and um how they're feeling and yeah like I think some people are feeling very guilty and other people were feeling angry and processing those things because you know it affected our work on a day-to-day I mean, yeah, I feel like that is so critical during this time, especially to have an outlet where there is no judgment or fear. And I feel like, oh, what an, can I come work for New Story? How awesome. Like, that's amazing. We are hiring. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So could you describe maybe some of the tasks that you are responsible for as far as like um, administratively or logistically, like what your day to day looks like? Yeah, I think every day looks a little different. Um, So I get to plan, this is my favorite part, I would say, is um, to plan events for us. So we're remote. So trying to be creative and how to create connections because, you know, people who are happy at work, part of it is that, you know, they have friends, they feel known, they feel like people care for them. And also like our team works very hard. And so um, trying to find ways that we can schedule like some fun into it. Um, And so one thing that we do um, that everyone really loves is, tea talks with Luke. Luke is a team member on our team and he used to do these tea talks at his home where he would he would host his friends to come over and they would he would give them a topic to think about before arriving and everyone would share on that given topic. And so this week they're talking, someone got married on our team this week. And so um, the topic this week is um, failed like romantic stories, like failed dates, <laughs> like the, you know, cringeworthy, like stories of, you know, love in your life. And so one that just builds connection, people get to laugh and actually like get to learn about each other and their stories and their life. And so um, it's a really great way to connect. And then 
we also noticed that like morale was like starting to be a little low Mm. and thinking through like how can we create like higher morale on our team and um, build some momentum and energy in this season and so um, our team is a very very competitive team like everyone always wants to win and so we created a wellness challenge and put people onto teams and um, every day they're putting submissions in for like fitness okay the categories are fitness nutrition um, self-care and what was the last one? Uh, what am I missing with like health? Fit. Sleep. Sleep oh. was a fourth one because people weren't sleeping. <laughs> yes, that's a good so one. If you sleep seven to eight hours, you get to like submit a point and get a point for it. Um, if you have a night where you're like a screenless night, you get a point for self-care. Um, you drink a gallon of water during the day, you get a point. And so the teams made like team names and they created like profile pictures that went along with their team names and um it's just fun and it one like creates a healthy like lifestyle for all of us in our personal lives but also like brings community and connection so you're the one that kind of like promotes the idea and say hey like let's do it and then you initiate it Mm-hmm. Nice. That's really fun. I feel like this is the perfect job for you. Just everything I know about you, um, like, like you know, just finding creative ways to advocate for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I'm pretty sure you know you didn't graduate high school and go into college and think, you know what, I want to be a people and culture ops person for a nonprofit organization. So can you take me back <laughs> to high school? Unless, did you think that? Were you like, yeah, this is what I want to do? <laughs> Definitely not. I don't even think that this position was like actually a position. No, sure. I, I don't, I don't imagine it would have been either. Yeah. I don't think no one, everyone back then would have been like, what is people and culture? Um, like why is, is it necessary? Yeah. Is that something that you want to invest into a company? Yeah. Like people would think you're crazy. Um, but Silicon Valley is like, no, it's not crazy. Mm-hmm. If you want longevity of employees in your company to be, they need to be happy. They need to be growing. They need to be cared for. And you need to create foster connections within the place if you want them to stick around. And yes. so it is a really, really big and like important investment on any team, I think. Um, yeah. When I graduated college, I, um, I went to college for piano. <laughs> I don't play piano at work. I could maybe like play piano to um, like <laughs> soothe the mind or aggravate them one or the other. Um, so I graduated um, with a degree um, in music and didn't really pursue music in life. I graduated during a recession, which was in 2009, which gives away my age. Old. Um but when I graduated, like, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life because I thought during college that I would figure out what I wanted to do. So um, I went because I had a scholarship for piano and was, you know, faith is a really big part of my life. And um, I was just like praying. I thought I would hear like an audible voice from God that'd be like, no, you shall be this. Um, <laughs> that didn't happen. And I blinked my eyes and I was graduating and it was 2009 and I couldn't even get a job at Starbucks. Like literally no one was hiring. Everyone was laying people off. Um, and honestly it was a time of like, 
struggling with like my identity, struggling with feeling inadequate and um, yeah, like not knowing what to do with my life and feeling really lost. And so um, that transition from college into being like a young adult for the first time in my life was really, really hard. Um, Did a lot of soul searching and um, from there just did really odd jobs here and there so that I can make money. And I think, um, I don't know, I think with our generation and the next generation, like we're really encouraged to dream big and shoot for the stars. And I think I'm a huge like, cheerleader when it comes to dreaming big um but sometimes like you have to wait tables because you need to pay for your student loans Mm -hmm. and your dream job isn't going to fall on your lap immediately sometimes it does and that's amazing that's never it wasn't the case for me and it's fine can I interrupt you Mm -hmm. real quick so at this point as you're doing these odd end jobs like you had no interest in pursuing what you graduated in, like music? I knew that music was not what I was passionate about. It was something okay. that I was good at. Okay. Because I spent my entire life doing it. And I didn't know what else that I was good at. Because I knew I was good at that. And I didn't have any other skill set that I felt like was a strength of mine. So when you said you did some soul searching, I mean, you were really having this identity, like, who am I? You know, I'm good at this thing, but that's not what I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Man, that's tough. Yeah. And I think there's a part of me that's like, maybe I should just teach piano for the rest of my life, <laughs> which someone that makes them come alive. I yeah. mean, someone knitting makes them come alive. I'm sure Nicole would love to, our friend Nicole, like loves like sewing things, you know, and for me, like the thought of teaching piano the rest of my life, like it made me want to just like, I don't know, (laughs) crawl in a hole. Okay. So it was not making you come alive clearly. Okay. So you're doing these odd end jobs. Mm -hmm. Then what? Um, yeah, I was doing odd end jobs and I was teaching piano part-time working for the census and, (laughs) you know, all those random things. And, Um, I had a lot more free time on my hands because my schedule was a little loose. And so I found myself like, um, not just found myself, I was volunteering a lot at my church because I was able to build community. I found purpose in that. And I always loved the church. I always loved building the church and the idea of working at a church was something that um, I desired when I was younger and, um, But yeah, I was just faithful in serving whenever there's an opportunity, I was there. And that's how um, the opportunity for me to work at my church came about. Mm. Um, So when you started working for your church, what did what were you doing? I started off working for our conference team, Passion Conferences, doing um, helping with our marketing side. Um, we were going to the Dome for the first time. So we were trying to fill a 60,000 person like arena. And so I'm um, helping to coordinate with, you know, planning and implementing like volunteers for projects and mail outs and inventory and all that kind of stuff and transition from there to um, working on our resource team for church at Passion City Church, um, mailing out resources all around the world and also doing inventory and warehouse things and things I never really ever thought I would be doing. (laughs) Helped a little bit with accounting, 
I'm not a numbers person. Ask me to subtract double digits and you'll get the wrong answer every time. Um, and then ultimately ended up on our kids team at church, um, helping with logistics and then eventually, um, like growing into like kind of a creative director role, didn't have the title, but did a lot of creative directing and like event planning. Um, so initially when you started to uh, serve a lot at your church, um, I know maybe your intent wasn't to get a job, but were you hoping to go towards like ministry? Like, is that what made you come alive at that time of your life? I think at the time, yes. At the time I knew that I loved being at church. Mm-hmm. That was something that lit me up. I loved helping people and um, yeah, being a part of something that was bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the small part that I played, like I felt like it gave me so much purpose and there was a high return at the end of the day, like um, to see people's lives impacted and changed, you know, was something that was so valuable mm-hmm. and so yeah um okay so <laughs> sorry I'm like externalizing my thought process right now but um what came to mind also is as you were describing what you eventually came into the role of a uh, creative director in the kids ministry could you explain what a creative director even is yeah um so I would, if we were going to launch a new sermon series or something in kids on Fruit of the Spirit. So what I would do is brainstorm um, ideas of like what the artwork could look like. How can we design the stage and create an environment that would excite the kids that could tie into it um, in a subtle or a really like in your face way um, and create a really interactive experience for kids. And um, not only that, but like if we were to create um, like an event for our volunteers to come to for a training night, thinking through like, you know, how does the artwork tie into the gift that we're going to give them at the end of the night and the theme of the evening. And ultimately like, how, how do we want people to feel at the end of the night? What is the goal? And then creating an experience around that. Um. That's really cool because I feel like a lot of people wouldn't even think that that's uh, an important role within a, a, a church itself, but it really does make a difference. You know, I, I know that you've shared with me in the past where kids have come up to you and said, hey, like I was really inspired by maybe some graphics that were made, um, but it's something that I don't even think about, but it really, because you sometimes I think, I, I work in kids ministry, as you know, and sometimes you think, oh, they're just kids, you know, but then you're like, no, man, they're kids that like truly are impressionable and whatever you do, it truly matters and it impacts the future of what they might think or do or the way they behave. So um, I think that's amazing that you had the opportunity to serve in that type of position um, at such an influential church here in Atlanta. And, um, you know, you said earlier that you weren't really sure, you know, what you're passionate about and you found yourself working at um, this church during your time there like, do you feel like you kind of figured out 
what you liked, what you loved, um, the things that you were good at? Yeah, I think so. Um, I would say the season at Passion City Church, which I was there for six years. So it's a long time. And I was in my 20s. And um, while I was there, I, like I said, transitioned to different teams. I learned a lot of skill sets that I never really wanted to learn. I never thought I needed it. Um, And I feel like, you know, what I see in my mind right now is like, I was packing for a trip that I was taking, but I didn't know where I was going. And I feel like I was given things to put in my luggage Mm. that I didn't really think I needed. Right. Like at the time, I'm like, why do I need this trumpet? (laughs) But it's given to me and I'm like putting it in my luggage. And it's like, you don't know what it's going to be used for. You don't know where you're going, but you know that like the trusting, like trusting God in that, in that journey of like, okay, I'm going to need this one day and I'm just going to stick it in my bag and trust him. Um, even though it feels really ridiculous and like unneeded. And so I feel like in my season at passion, I really learned how to do things with excellence. Um, I don't mean to like, you know, belittle any church or stuff, but like, I feel like a lot of churches don't do things well, like art wise, like sometimes I'm just like, Oh, (laughs) but you know, like, I think as a church, like we should be the most excellent in everything that we do because we are reflecting the most creative, the most like excellent God. And so I learned that like at passion was like to do things really well and to put my energy into it as much as I could, um, to also like hold things with open hands because plans changed last minute. And I think I just, my capacity was stretched a lot. Things that I thought like, I could never do this, especially in the time that's given to me. And I realized, oh, I did do it, even though I thought I couldn't. Mm. And so, um, and also a big thing that I learned there was like big vision, like to have big vision um, because our pastor, um, Louis Giglio is a visionary and he would often tell us that like, um, he wants to do things that people say are impossible. And then as soon as like it starts to look possible, he's like bored with it. He goes to the next thing that people say is impossible. And I feel like in all the environments that I've been in, like at Passion and even here at News Story is like, you know, one of our um, quotes is like, it's crazy until it's not. Mm. It's crazy to go to the moon until it's not crazy. It's crazy to start, you know, to build a search engine. And and now it's called Google. And now it's not crazy. Um, There's so many things that people say are crazy, ridiculous ideas, because it's never been done. But it's not crazy once it gets done. And someone is inspired to pursue those big things. And, um, and so I think like there, I just, I learned a lot of skill sets and it equipped me to do the things that I'm doing now. Yeah. So with this new skill set set and, you know, your luggage is packed and you're ready to go somewhere. How did this somewhere turn into new story? Yeah. Um, in 2010, I went to Uganda for the first time. And um, Uganda is in the eastern part of Africa. And I went there to volunteer for a month at a baby's home. And a baby's home is um, a home for infants who have been abandoned or um, orphaned infants at the end of the day, whatever the situation was, they're there without parents. And so I went to care for them for a month. And um, that's when this part of me just awakened that had never been woke before. And um, 
I realized that I had a huge heart for like humanitarian aid and um, the developing world. And um, from that, I was still working at Passion and um, realized that I really wanted to do things outside of the four walls. Um, and I think um, I met with this guy who worked at New Story because um, in the midst of working at Passion, I started a nonprofit and um, called The Collective Effect. And we built a home called the Akenna Home that houses 20 kids who once were homeless on the streets of Kampala, which is the capital. And um, we had acquired land and I had a dream to build a school, build homes eventually, and had met with one of the guys who worked at New Story and you know, pitch the idea of like, Hey, you guys want to build a home with me or build homes at, on our land? And he's like, we'll talk later. And instead of like furthering that conversation, he reached out to me and was like, Hey, I really think that you'd be a great addition to our team. You need to apply for this job that's open. And so, um, in that moment, I was really, really scared to make a change because passion was home and I was confident where I was at. I knew what I was good at. I knew where I stood and, um, and it was scarier for me to step out. And I am a really big like advocate for what is scarier usually is like the right thing to do. Because <laughs> the things that scare you and the things that make you feel uncomfortable are the things that are going to grow you the most. And so um, they offered me the position and I started, I made the transition in January of 2019 to the New Story team. So you've almost been there. For, it'll be almost two years next year, huh? Wow, that's crazy. Like the just chain of events that occurred for you to be where you are today. Um, just as a testament to, man, you just got to trust the journey. Like truly, because you just never know. I mean, it's not just your story. I feel like a lot of the people that I've been interviewing, it's kind of the similar theme, right? It's like you had this plan and then there was no plan. And then God put you where you needed to be. And you packed your bag and you just kept going on the journey. And I just think, um, man, that's so crazy. And like, I mean, from what I hear in your stories, like you truly are thriving where you are right now, even though we don't know what's next for you. Um, but all that to say, you know, I really want to talk about what you touched on. Um, you just dropped like oh yeah and I started a nonprofit like no big deal right but I'm like oh big deal big deal <laughs> but, um, but before we go into the collective effect and you kind of explaining your heart behind it I feel like I need to um, explain my heart for my friend Myung um, so you know Myung is somebody that I feel like and know confidently that she's just always had a heart for people and like I mentioned before um, in her current job as she advocates for her co-workers um, it's where she is supposed to be because she thrives in that just going to war for people and on so many occasions this girl has just gone to war for me whether it's just in friendship relationships um prayer you know all the things um I'm so thankful for you but <laughs> I'm thankful for you <laughs> but um so like I mean okay for okay can I just tell them the story of how we met absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so like 
like I said, we met 17 years ago. When we were three. No, I was 14. (laughs) I was 14 and we met at a church retreat. And um, I I lived in Georgia, and then she lived in Florida, but we were from the same church denomination. <laughs> and so that means, like, usually, like, church denominations will come together for a joint church retreat. And so that was happening when I was 14, but I liked this guy, and it turns out, Myung also liked the same guy and they were friends from previous church retreats and so they but then I knew about Myung so I knew that she was interested in the guy that I was interested in and so we all went to this retreat together and I was like like who is this girl right like where is she and she lo and behold she walks in and I am like totally staring her down because she's like this. No, I'm like, no one told me she was this half Korean, half Mexican girl who's like super gorgeous. Okay, great. And here I am, 14 years old <laughs> with like in, in rolled up cheerleader shorts <laughs> and gray colored contacts. But like, you knew me too, right? Like, you knew coming in I, who I was. I right? knew she was the other girl. <laughs> um but like okay so you know three days go by and like we you know I there's this tension there's this tension between me and her and but at the end of the three days you guys like yeah Myung was praying for me but not just praying for me like she truly came to me and like was praying over me not because um she had any ill feelings towards me, but but she truly chose to um, love me, you know. And we got to know each other. And man, it that for me personally, you know, this guy was the best thing that ever happened to me because I I gained um, such an amazing friend from it. And um, all that to say is, not only was she praying over me, um, that's how she feels about everybody. Everyone she meets, she just has a humongous heart for them. So when she went to Uganda in 2010 and came back and was like, okay, like, this is it. I'm going to do something. I'm like, yeah, I believe it. You're going to do something. But it did take some time. So um, can you share with me or and the people listening, like, yeah, what was it about Uganda that you, like, just had this humongous heart for? Yeah, um... So I think like going to Uganda, it was the first time that I like saw with my own eyes and experienced like poverty, like extreme poverty and the brokenness that my heart felt that like people were living in, um, yeah, like slums and there were kids, like I was exposed to seeing um, hundreds of kids, thousands of kids actually, who um, beg on the streets in Kampala. And um, witnessing that for the first time, it really broke my heart. And um, I realized that like, I couldn't go back and be the same person that I was. I couldn't go back to what life was like before that I had to do something about it. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew that I needed to do something. 
And again, it was irresponsible for me not to try. Yeah. And so I returned back to Uganda every year, never really thought about starting a nonprofit. I just knew like I had to do something. And anytime, you know, I was connected through friends over the years, we grew in relationships that who live in Uganda and, um, it just, everything kind of happened naturally. I think that's the part of my story is like, you know, I didn't plan for this to happen, but it happened. And, um, I planned to go to Uganda, which it was a big, I went on my own. I signed up with a nonprofit as a, you know, a 22 year old and who had never, you know, been to Africa. And I think we have these like pre-existing notions of like, I'm going to be sleeping in a hut and there's going to be lions and tigers and not tigers, but like elephants going to be roaming around and we're going to sing like, you know, Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know what your like preconceived. So I got there and we were in an apartment and I was like, what? <laughs> like we're staying in an apartment and there's power and electricity and like water. And, um, but yeah, I think like something happened in my heart. Not, I think I know something happened in my heart. My life was completely changed. And, um, eventually as I went, I would see a certain need for a family that I knew. And I started calling out to friends and saying, Hey, can you guys help? And started to like peer-to-peer fundraise without a platform and just texted friends or emailed friends and you know everyone would rally together to like help meet a need so that's how it kind of started it's amazing so okay so so from there right you would go back every year and I initially I was like I cannot believe you're doing this like you're going back every year but um you're talking about how you you Actually, no, let's just start from the beginning, like starting the collective effect, mm-hmm. right? Like what made you decide this, this is the best way to impact, you know, the current conditions of Uganda, starting a nonprofit? Yeah. Um, I, so a little bit about me, I don't like doing things everyone else is doing, <laughs> Um, if you want me to wear, like, my biggest nightmare is being on a tour, like a guided tour, which I went on when I was in Italy last year, or like all wearing the same t-shirt on a mission trip. Like (laughs) that is my absolute nightmare. Like you cannot give me anything worse. Um, but I want to do something that no one's doing. And there was this fad a couple of, like maybe five or six years ago where like everybody was starting nonprofits. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not starting a nonprofit. I'm going to do something else. And I actually, you know, Silicon Valley has this thing where they're like, break things. They like encourage people to break things, encouraging people to fail because you learn from your failures. And if you break something, you might find a solution that's like even better than what was Mm -hmm. existing. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, I'm not going to do a nonprofit. I am going to do a (laughs) for-profit. I don't know if you remember this. And I was like, I'm going to partner with local artisans and we're going to create products and sell them. And we're going to make millions and billions of dollars. And then I'm going to choose how to use that money. And I'm going to use that money for good. So that was my original plan. And I was like, I'm going to create this business. And it flopped, absolutely flopped. I like lost thousands of dollars. It was great. Um, <laughs> it was called Collective Co. <laughs> yes, I remember. 
still have the domain. <laughs> um, maybe one day it'll make like a reappearance. But um, from there, I realized that um, in order for us to have donors, <laughs> we need to be a nonprofit. Mm. And so I was almost cornered into that idea of having to have a nonprofit. But ultimately realized like, why am I fighting this? And I was fighting it just because I didn't want to do something that someone else was doing. But um, I think that's something important to even realize when you're starting something to realize like, is someone doing, you know, identifying the problem, asking is someone attacking this issue? What solutions are they bringing? Is it better for them to just like keep doing that versus me um, redoing the same model Mm -hmm. um, because I don't have a different solution? And I would say like for us at Collective Effect, the Collective Effect, we aren't doing things in like an innovative way. But the one thing that I think is different about us is um, that we really want to make our decisions and build on human-centered design and involving the community, involving the voices of the people who live there Mm -hmm. in the decisions that we make. And really hearing them um, and designing programs and different things around the feedback that we get from locals. And um, ultimately, we want to become self-sustainable, which we don't have a real like concrete plan, but it is something that we want to try to start implementing in the years to come is like, we want to solve an issue so that they no longer need us. And if that means that the collective effect closes down, it closes down. Mm. Um, but we want to be able to solve something and that we are no longer needed is, you know, the goal. That's amazing. So how is this process going for you guys of coming to solutions for the community communities there that you serve? Mm-hmm. Um, so 75-ish percent of the kids who are um, living on the streets of Kampala, the capital, are from a particular region, a northeastern region called Karamoja. And um, we have land up there, which is really exciting. And we're really excited to um, break ground on a well that we fundraised for earlier this year. Blair was heavily involved in helping to raise funds for that. Um But we went to survey the land and um, what we noticed was two kids out of the entire community um, around our land have only two kids have stepped into school, like generations of people who have never had education. No one really has a job. Um, And, you know, the closest water source is like four to seven hours away walking. Um, And so what we're seeing is like, they're so desperate to, you know, make an income that they're sending kids since they can't afford to send them to school. So they send them to the capital to beg on the streets and the money that they make, they send home. Hmm. And I mean, this starts at like four or five years old. And so um, desperate enough to send your kids um, to be able to survive. And so Um, Our hope is that we can help develop the community that we're in to help prevent kids from ever getting onto the streets. And so right now in our home, we have 20 kids who were living on the streets and we could continue to expand our home and bring in more and more kids, but that's never really going to solve the root of the issue. Sure. Yeah. Um, Just have more kids. Yeah. So there's always going to be a cycle of kids living on the streets if nothing changes in the community up there. So um, we're partnering with them. 
after the water project, um, we want to work with the community to see um, what's the next step? Like, what do you guys want? What do you feel like is the best um, way to develop your community and create um, a brighter future for your children? And um, it might not look the way that I think it should look. You know, sometimes I come in and, you know, it's really easy to have the white savior mentality of coming in and be like, you need this, you need a school, you need this. Um, but you, that might not be it. Like, I do believe that education is um, a solution to um, ending cyclical poverty. Mm. Um, but the greatest need might be, you know, literacy class for parents and mm. children. Um, so it might look a little different. And so I'm open to, you know, gathering data. I think data is really, really important. And I've learned that from New Story. Um, and so um, we want to gather data. We really want to involve the community in that and also partner with the government. As much as like sometimes working at the government is really hard and frustrating, um, to really make systematic change, we have to partner with governments. Mm-hmm. So, Wow. I like as you're talking, my heart is so excited because I mean, I'm just really excited for the next steps, you know, and the real change is going to happen. Like I, I know, obviously, you know, with starting new things and um, really actually shifting culture in a place where um, these kinds of resources aren't readily available is going to be challenging, I'm sure. But um I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that the collective effect will be able to help make those steps towards real change. But um, so I know that you normally go to Uganda every year. And this year, because of obvious circumstances, um, you won't be able to go. Are you sad? I am sad. Um, They did announce that they might be opening the airport in October, but, you know, we're all crossing our fingers right now. I'm just trying to, you know, not talk myself up about I was going to say, oh my goodness, you're going to go, aren't you? (laughs) I mean, if the border's open, I'm there. Um, But right now we usually do take a team um, and we call them vision trips where we take um, teams over to um, see our home to really like invest in our kids relationally. Um, The kids don't really have like father figures. We have um, house moms who help care for them, but they absolutely, like they gravitate towards the guys when they come and to have like, you know, one physical touch isn't like a big thing that they have or even like soft words of affirmation. And and so having a team who is able to give them even one-on-one attention, which they don't really get very much, it really makes a huge impact for these kids. And so um, we go and do a lot of relational um, connection. So at the end of the day, you don't have anything to show for it really physically. Um, But I also believe like things that can be done by locals and where we can like really invest into locals building and doing things like that, that we um, leave that to locals to do. And whenever we take teams that we're not taking away like work from people in the community, that um, the best thing we can do is to build relational like connection with our kids. And so um, we go and do that. We also like go on a safari, which is super fun um, and really, really a great experience to like see creation and like animals in the wild, like Mm -hmm. they're supposed to be. 
And yeah, we would normally be starting to fundraise for the trips, but it's canceled this year. Um, but we decided to open up an opportunity for people to play a part um, by joining vision teams. Yes, I'm so excited about this new um, thing that's happening and uh, launching in the next, uh, I guess, in the next couple of weeks, right? Yeah, so we actually open applications already and um, applications close on the 22nd. But um, what we are looking for are people who have big vision, people who want to make an impact um, to change lives. And um, we're, we're recruiting people who want to leverage their lives to create change in the lives of the 20 kids who are living in our home. And so when you sign up, you're committing to try to raise $1,000 between October 1st and November 30th. And committing um, is, we're just saying that you're going to try. So, you know, some people might not raise a thousand dollars and that's okay. Um, but um, that's, we're trying to find individuals who want to join. And we really believe that things are funner, funner, more fun um, <laughs> when you do it together, when you do it as a team. And so what we're doing is we're putting individuals into teams of three to compete against each other, to raise the most funds. And the team who raises the most funds are going to be awarded $500 Delta gift cards. Each, so each person, each person on the team. People, yes. Hey, that's adults. like a great incentive. Yes. You can go to Hawaii. <laughs> you cannot go to any other country in the world because they're not accepting Americans, <laughs> <laughs> but you can go somewhere. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, it's really fun to do it like that. You know, I, um, it's going to sound really like cheesy and lame, but I feel like, um, well, first of all, just to clarify a little bit what you said, you're saying that anyone is eligible to sign up to be a part of a vision team. And this is the deadline is September 22nd. Um, so this is airing or launching on uh, the 21st. But if you're do you have every are the teams full yet? Or? No, we're not full yet. We are a little past halfway full. Um, we won't turn you away, but we are like halfway to our goal right now. So, which is so great. It's so yeah. exciting. Um, so, um, the teams themselves, right. Are, are you, are you grouping them together? So when you apply, say that you and two of your friends are like, we want to do this together. Uh -huh. um, there is a portion on the application that asks like, who do you want to be paired with? Like, do you have someone you want to be paired with? So you can come in with a pre like plan team, or if you don't have anyone that's interested in doing this, we will pair you guys up with other people who are like-minded, who want to be a part of something that is greater than themselves. And you guys can raise funds together. Yeah, I mean, so what I was going to say is if the teams are full, um, you know, there's no reason to not participate. And you can do that by supporting the vision teams themselves and um, donating financially to help the collective effect. Um, and where is this money going? Yeah, 100% of everything raised is going to go towards the Akena home. So medical fees, nutrition, like um food prices have more than doubled during COVID. So it's getting really expensive to feed 20 children. Um, also education is very expensive. And so all of this money, hundred percent of it will go towards the kids at the Akena home, which will help us. Um, so 
that money is going towards caring for the kind of home in 2021. So it'll cover from January to December. Um, and that will help free us to start making steps towards developing something mm -hmm. within the community in Karamoja um, so that we can start actually attacking the issue at its core. And like Blair mentioned, you know, if you're not on a vision team, you can always give financially. But another thing that's really, really helpful, I really believe that awareness brings change. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to use your voice through social media or even having conversations about this and like sharing this with your friends or family about like what's going on and um, living beyond, you know, yourself and having a vision to impact more people um, than yourself, I think um, it's a great way to be involved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just feel challenged all the time by you um, and all that you're doing. Um, but just to go back and reiterate some of the things that you had mentioned, because I feel like it's important uh, for this cause specifically, um, you know, Myung just kind of breezed over some topics because I will say, you know, she probably talks about these things a lot right so maybe it's I, let me just highlight you know some of these things like for example you know the city where she has bought land through her nonprofit. Um, she mentioned there are people that have to walk four to seven hours to get water to like um, eat or drink or bathe or do anything um, and she also forgot to mention that when they get the water, it's actually not clean. You know, it's actually very murky. I mean, can you imagine not being able to go to your kitchen to get clean water? Um, and, and I say it like this in this tone because for me, it was really eye-opening. You know, I feel like, um, I mean, this might make me sound extremely ignorant and I apologize in advance, but, you know, it's because of Myung's work uh, towards making uh, living conditions better in Uganda and because of her nonprofit that I have become more aware of the situation. And I'm just so thankful for that. And um, I'm really excited about these vision teams that are happening um, at the beginning of October uh, that are launching because, like she said, you know, the reason this is necessary is because people's lives are at stake, right? People that don't have the resources that we do. Um, and by doing this, the collective effect in itself can truly make change that will hopefully change the whole process, you know, change everything culturally and really um, make a change that will be lasting, you know, not something sustainable. And um, I just, I'm just so excited. So um, I'm just going to challenge those that are listening you know, to, I, and I'm going to promote this on my own social media as well, as well as um, my personal and the When I Grew Up podcast uh, social media. If you have any questions about any of this, please feel free to DM me. Um, I can, if I can't answer the question for you, I will direct you towards Myung, who can definitely answer all your questions. Um, or you could email us at podcastwigu at gmail.com. But all that to say, you know, um, yeah, I want to challenge those that are listening to find a vision team uh, to support. And it's, it's going to sound so cheesy and so lame, but 
every dollar that you give, it really matters. Like, and it really does impact um, in a way that you wouldn't even believe, you know. And the U.S. dollar goes a long way in other countries. Really, really does. Yeah. And one dollar can essentially feed one of our kids for an entire day I mean that's crazy you know that's so crazy to me that that my Starbucks drink could potentially feed you know five to six kids um and so yeah I mean like what's one Starbucks drink you know and and I I know it sounds I don't again I I get it you know we all are right now times are tough and uh, money is tight Um, However, you know, for those listening that have food to eat and water to drink and a house to live in, um, this is like my, I guess, I don't know, my ask, my big, it's not a big ask, I feel like, but I, but I feel it's important for me to say something right now and really challenge those listening um, to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And there I, you know, I've mentioned in the past with other guests, there there are so many ways to help people and so many ways to give. And there, there are a lot of things I'm sure you guys are already doing. But um, if you have a heart while you're listening to this, this particular podcast in this particular story, again, I just want to encourage you. I've talked a lot in the last three minutes. But <laughs> I'm sorry. This is your episode. You're doing great. <laughs> But um, anyways, yes, I'm excited for what's to come, Myung. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I think, um, yeah, I feel like I'm still trying to think, like, what am I going to do when I grow up? Mm-hmm. And I'm grown. And so I think, like, I just want to challenge anyone who's listening, like, you might have a plan, but that plan might not turn out the way that you think, or um, you might not have a plan, but I think just encouraging, I want to encourage you to um, just embrace the journey, embrace, you know, the seasons that you're in, um, try to learn as much as you can um, and master the skills wherever you're at, be the best at it, um, because you're going to carry that into wherever you're going next. And also to challenge you, like, you know, it's irresponsible not to try. Yes. Try things. Don't be afraid to break things. Don't be afraid to fail. Um, Because I think in that journey, you find more strengths and talents within you that you never knew you had. Um, And it's, you know, really fun to discover those things as, you know, you journey. And I feel like I'm discovering things every day. Um, And so, yeah, don't be afraid to try things is what I want to encourage everyone to do. Extremely sound advice. Um, I myself am leaving this conversation like, okay, what are the things in my life that I am scared to try? And I, it's irresponsible not to do something about it. Um, it's definitely something I'm taking away from this conversation. So thank you, my friend, again. Um, I love you. And I know that everyone else is going to love you after this. <laughs> she truly is queen of all things. And so um, thank you again. Um, if you guys... Uh, 
liked this episode or um, we welcome the feedback you know anything you have to say uh, please please let us know Um, but until next time guys thanks so much bye